Manaz is a fluid, sorry, a dual qualified barrister at 20 Essex. And uh, she specializes in representing governments and corporations in both commercial investment arbitration. Manaz was not one of the official speakers on the ICA program, but the overarching theme of the ICA uh, conference was the age of enlightenment. And we had multiple chats with uh, Manaz um, because she's involved in the numbers of, of exit arbitration on the evolution of investment arbitration. It was extremely interesting to chat with her on, on this topic and others. Um, and Manaz, I just wanted to mention she's of Pakistani origin and she was one of the youngest uh, persons to be appointed as an arbitrator on the exit ad hoc committee. So it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, pretty amazing because she's a woman, of course, and she's of Pakistani origin as well. But yeah, really good, very humble, and absolutely delight to speak to her. Thanks a lot, Manaz. Hi, Manaz. Welcome. So great to see you finally. I think it's better if I give you the floor to introduce yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much, Saudi. It's, it's lovely to be here um, in Edinburgh. And um, my, as you, my name is Manas Malik, and I am a barrister and arbitrator at 20 Essex, Chambers in London. Amazing barrister. I think she's being too kind with her introduction. Uh, and Manaz um, is, of course, a wonderful practitioner, but we also connected because Manaz is originally from Pakistan, and I don't see a lot of amazing Pakistani women like you. Uh, and Manaz, the first time I think I, I heard you speak was actually on the evolution of um, exit uh, arbitration, uh, a CIARB conference. <laughs> it's a bit agitated conference. I think you remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, we you know we are here at ICA, and there's this whole discussion on enlightenment and changes and the future of uh, of course our field. And I know you have a few views on this. So if you know you wanted to talk about maybe how the field is, where is it going? What are the key changes? I think that's a really good question. So if you think about the world of arbitration, and I'm, I'm glad, Sadia, you remember the rather dull lecture I, I, I gave. But oh, it wasn't if dull. If you look at the vintage of the two main sort of <laughs> arbitration conventions we have, the New York Convention and the Exit Convention, you're really looking at the 50s and the 60s. Mm -hmm. So if you time sort of the world of arbitration, you know, you're looking at a, at a 60 to 70 year old um, sort of arbitration entity, if, if want a better word. Um, but I guess if you look at the, the practitioner life, so we've seen arbitration take off, um, I think it's the last 20 odd years, which in a sense, interestingly, have coincided at least with my professional career. I mean, I've been doing this for 22 years. Mm -hmm. and, it's quite interesting to see it really pick up base. And I always wonder, you know, are you dealing with a 20-something-year-old mm -hmm. um, if arbitration was a person? Or are you really dealing with somebody who's between 60 and 70? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like everybody, they're crisis, right? We have Absolutely. our yeah, teenage crisis and existentialist crisis. <laughs> So yeah, so, so is it is yeah. it is it really where it or is it is it something in the middle like a midlife crisis which yeah. arbitration is uh, is having? Are we looking at something in the middle where you know my timeline of twenty two years 
it's um you know probably what are the key things that you have seen as a practitioner like evolve over time you would think that really defines the change in arbitration like where it's going in the future what do you think I think it's become more global. I mean, mm-hmm. international arbitration mm-hmm. was always sort of international arbitration. But mm-hmm. bear in mind, you know, it's it's taken a lot of the countries. I mean, we were talking about the world. When we talk about international, it has to be global. I mean, even in the 50s and 60s, a lot of countries hadn't fully sort of come into their own. They were still sort of breaking mm-hmm. away from, you know, their colonial past. They were still becoming sort of real sort of states in their own right. And their legal systems were being built up. Mm-hmm. So in a way, they, they kind of signed up on these sort of conventions mm-hmm. and treaties, but did they actually, you know, were they even able to kind of take them on? And I think the change you've seen in the last sort of 22-odd years has been just that. I think arbitration, a lot of countries have accepted arbitration, not just by mm-hmm. signing on the dotted mm-hmm. line, but really kind of embracing it. And I think that has to do not just with the, the stage of development in their legal systems, but also the fact that their, their legal communities have developed and you have younger practitioners mm-hmm. coming in from all over the world who've sort of embraced this mm-hmm. as their own. Yeah, and we see it at ICA, you know. I mean, it's a, such an international congress, I think. Uh, it's truly international. You just don't see people from Paris or London. There were a lot of that, you know, hugging each other and <laughs> seeing each other from there. But there's a lot of people from outside as well. Absolutely, uh, and in yeah. the 90s, if you look at some of the countries and I'm not going to mm-hmm. name and shame but mm-hmm. you'll see a lot of court decisions and I'm not saying that there aren't countries like that mm-hmm. still around the world but there was a lot of anti-arbitration mm-hmm. I think the 90s were really mm-hmm. the anti-arbitration sort of the courts were still sort of in conflict with international arbitration they were afraid of it they were I think that kind of tension has eased considerably and you have a better relationship between national courts and international arbitration do you think that's the case also in our uh, beloved country in Pakistan? <laughs> I think so, actually. To be fair, I mean, I, I didn't want to sort of name and shame, mm-hmm. but in the 90s, the Pakistani courts were, you know, obviously, you mm-hmm. know, you had, you know, I grew up in that shadow of the, you know, the Hubco decision. I mean, mm-hmm. many people will be too young to remember that, but they were really anti-arbitration sentiments. Mm-hmm. What I see now, whether it's India, whether it's Pakistan, whether it's other countries, I think, yes, there are systemic issues in in the court system more generically, which are open to people misusing the procedural sort of elements. But I think that sort of that sort of ideology of being anti arbitration, I think that 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 I'm hopeful is a thing of the past. And well, you know, this is being discussed, actually was discussed a couple of days ago, not at ICA, but at the Ancestral Working mm-hmm. Group three, mm-hmm. also the reform IFSDS and I think creating more legitimacy and I think a lot of people are getting tired also of that discussion about backlash on mm-hmm. on ISDS. I mean, do you think we're moving then is that what you're saying that we're moving away from that sentiment of backlash and we're just going to focus on a new a new regime of of ISDS that is more legitimate, more transparent, more efficient, <laughs> the words that we keep using over and over again, more diverse, more equal. I think you've asked a very pertinent question. I mean, bear in mind, when I was alluding to the 1990s, mm-hmm. I mean, ISDS was still very young. I mean, mm-hmm. if you remember, the first sort of claim was 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, so 1990s, a real sort of, uh, I guess I wouldn't say a battle, mm-hmm. was really with commercial arbitration, where some state entities were often involved, and hence the, you know, the state, some of the courts got a little bit more involved um, mm-hmm. because state entities, but we didn't really have investment arbitration issues in their sort of full sort of flourish in the 1990s that's mm-hmm. very much mm-hmm. been a creature of the early noughties i think 
Mm-hmm. So to answer your question more, my, more directly, I think the investor state element, the backlash, mm-hmm. made it all the more complicated and sort of fudge commercial and investment mm-hmm. arbitration together. I think today courts are seeing the two as separate entities. And I think your answer, you know, the answer to your question about investment arbitration, I think there is a lot of backlash. And it's a very complicated sort of issue because I think it's 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 got so many nuances to it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for my part, I think it's it's a system and I'm gonna express it very neutrally here. Mm-hmm. I think it's a system of accountability, which is so rare mm-hmm. in, in public international law. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you have the ability to take a nation state mm-hmm. um, before an international tribunal uh, to account for whatever mm-hmm. conduct they've done mm-hmm. and be able to claim that kind of compensation the way you are able to do so in ISDS? I think it's, it's, it's a very unique tool. Mm-hmm. Now, good or bad, that's another yeah, because no you do you do a lot of public international law, right? Yes. So you work a lot on uh, not just arbitration cases, but other type of accountability. I was also, also was a treaty treaty negotiator. Yeah, I did a lot of treaty right. negotiations mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, and you can see now that in negotiations of treaties, the language is changing as well to hold you know to hold accountable not just the state. But also investors. Is that something you're seeing? It. I mean, do you think in the future we're going to have a more like a changing face of you know claims you know with ESG and environmental claims and so obviously you're talking about accountability and everyone's talking about you know green arbitration and protection of the environment and redrafting all these BITs to account for responsibility mm-hmm. of investors and not just the state. What do you think about that? I think whether whether you believe in climate change or not, mm-hmm. um, and believe it or not, there are people out there who, mm-hmm. who do not believe in it. Yeah, um, I think we we realize that we have become an interconnected world. Whether mm-hmm. whether it's to whether it's to do with our dependence economically, energetically, digitally, we are now very very enmeshed together, and that requires not just national accountability but international accountability. Mm-hmm. And that you know completely agree cuts through so many layers of this because it's not just the state accountability as I mentioned we have a very mm-hmm. unique tool mm-hmm. in ISDS mm-hmm. but equally I mean there are corporations that are bigger than states mm-hmm. that have that impact so it cuts at so many levels and like I said that's why when people talk about you know ISDS being bad I think you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. what you have is a system of accountability that can be used for greater purposes as well and you know there is no reason why you can't sort of look at the concepts try and see what's good and bad and also see, as you said, how do you extend it to other much-needed areas of accountability? Mm-hmm. I, you use the word accountability a lot. Yes. And we used it for the state. We used it for, um, you know, investors. Let's use it for us, <laughs> for us lawyers. What do you think? Because you're, you know, the difference between you and me and you, you know, as Brian is that you're a barrister. Do you think the account, I mean, is there like a different concept of accountability in your experience? Uh, as a lawyer, how has it, you know, how has it evolved? You think um, in the past years, because I know we talk a lot about conduct, you know, conduct of counsel and how arbitrators should, you know, make decisions if if counsel are not behaving correctly or not. We're discussing our code of conduct, not just for arbitrators but also for for counsel. I mean, is is this discussion alive within the barrister world as well? Like, 
I think it's a it's a very good point. So yes, I I personally am heavily heavily accountable and <laughs> and regulated. Good because, answer. Because don't, don't worry, I I do just have the English sort of bar accountability. I have the New York and I have the Pakistani one. I'm also a member of the the Punjab Bar Council. So I have three three mm-hmm. code mm-hmm. of conduct potentially that regulate me. So yeah. I'm I'm yeah. triple triple accountable. Yeah, yeah. Accounted for, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think when you go outside the barrister, sort of, I mean, obviously you, you've got different standards of accountability in different legal systems. Um, I, I guess it becomes more complicated when, when you're when you're working as an, you're serving as an arbitrator, and the limits of, of that account accountability. And I think you know there are little gaps in that system, um, and I think it's 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 very important to have more soft and hard. Um, sort of accountability because it ultimately it's it's I think it's a public service really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there need there need to be checks and balances to keep the the faith alive you know justice needs to be seen to be done as well so it's very important to have those checks and balances. You have another cap as well, Manaz, is that you sit as an arbitrator. Has that um, changed your viewpoint on things <laughs> since you're now on the on the other side of the table? Um, you know, I mean, it's a very vague question, but I could link it to either, you know, accountability that you were talking about of council or even accountability of states or the evolution of, of ISDS. Could you sit as an arbitrator in both commercial and investor state, correct? Correct. Yes. And uh, for the, because I know you're not going to say it, just so people don't know, Manaz was the first, I think she was the youngest female arbitrator appointed on uh, by ICSID on an annulment committee. Is that correct? Is yes. that data? Yes. Yes. And uh, yeah, and and all of that. Not even saying that she's uh, of Pakistani I heard, origin. I so heard that's that amazing. As a footnote somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I always say it because I think it's a big deal. It's a big deal to mention. You know, you don't say it about yourself, but it's a huge. Anyways, that was just a um, a side note. But yeah, you know, to go back to to that question, has this changed your your viewpoint on things like sitting as an arbitrator you know I mean dealing with those cases for hand, firsthand I think it's been an, it's been an incredible sort of privilege I, I mean mm-hmm. I think the two it's a, it's a very interesting sort of uh, dynamic the transition between counsel and arbitrator and mm-hmm. then also I guess if you are still doing counsel work mm-hmm. you know once you've kind of sort of been an arbitrator and you're sitting and serving as an arbitrator how does that affect your counsel work mm-hmm. um, you know I feel that as a as a practicing counsel, I'm, you know, my I I'm so so very fresh from the battle. I mean, I do understand how how sort of you know swords clash every day. It's it's a bit like you're still within the game. You're still relevant to what's happening, and you know I feel also quite interestingly that I probably do things I shouldn't be doing. I always double count days, believe it or not, when when people send me. I count the days always myself because I feel a lot of times you'd be surprised how many people count the days wrong mm. on procedural calendars. So you become, you're still quite mm. sort of, mm. I mean, you're still quite sharp because you know the tricks of the trade, let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas once you become an arbitrator and then you start serving, you know, you start going back to council work, the dynamic changes, so you're able to read the panel a little bit better. I think what you start seeing is your, it's a bit like going at the top of a hill and you know seeing the view from there versus below, and you realize that the picture kind of changes. So I'll give you an example. As council procedural skirmishes are, are quite sort of, they feel real, re, you know, that's what you're really immersed in, and mm-hmm. you're constantly sort of thinking, well, if I didn't get that extension, you know, mm-hmm. does, that, does the arbitrator, you know, think about 
the merits, but but really you learn as, as when you're sitting serving on, on mm-hmm. the panel that in reality these are just procedural skirmishes. What what arbitrators? I mean, this needs to be managed, of course, right. properly, and it does it does sort of feed into the overall sort of I guess impressions and perceptions people might have. But really, I think you know you realize they're probably not as important as you tend to right. think they are as counsel. Yeah, it's yeah, a substance yeah. yeah as counsel, you tend to overinterpret things yeah. like the use of a comma or a side during a hearing, or like you say, a procedural. <laughs> but then, but then, bear yeah. in mind because you know you, you have that concept, and yeah. so you're very careful. So when you're sitting as on a panel, then you're also very careful to make sure the counsel doesn't get that impression because you you know you you're, you're aware. Yeah. But that's how. So it's, it's it's a beautiful sort of dance, I would say, at the moment. I like that. It's a it's beautiful it's, set of dance. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice, and I think it's. And for me personally, Sadia, it's, it's really important because what I'm enjoying seeing the different voices come in, it's also the different perspectives that people are bringing into this. And I'm not just talking about, you know, background diversity. I'm bringing about mm-hmm. how people think about issues, mm-hmm. you know, more creativity into sort of arbitration. You know, why does it just have to be two plus two? Why can't we think of more um, creative ways to, you know, solve mm-hmm. uh, legal problems? I don't mean by sort of, outside of the arbitration but within the arbitration mm-hmm. you know it's so important to have those voices that think think in a slightly broader way than just a narrow linear way innovate yeah Bro- absolutely mm-hmm. and so we talked about what you know had changed in the past and what's changing what would you like to change in the field like given your experience as an arbitrator a barrister a trade negotiator you know a woman also a practitioner what would you like, you know, for the field to, to evolve? Or what, what's your aspiration for the next five years, if I may? <laughs> I think I would like to make it, and I, I'm, I know I'm using a loaded term here. Um, I'm deliberately not using the word inclusive. I'm using the word accessible. Hmm. And I think we are still, I mean, arbitration's come a long way. But I think we still have these little elite bubbles um, and it is an expensive mm-hmm. tool, and it is dominated by a, 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 a type, I guess, of person from a particular background. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to see more people embrace it, mm-hmm. and I'd like to see sort of more voices come in where you know people can access this world, and it's not such a you know it's not such a cosseted and closeted world, which mm-hmm. sadly it still is. And I'll give you an example. If you're doing arbitration outside our little circle, Mm -hmm. and I say little still, Mm -hmm. you know, choosing arbitrators, unless you kind of meet them or you know them, how do you have any kind of knowledge? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've met them at a, even at a conference, you've had something more than the person who can't afford to come to that conference Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. doesn't have the means. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you are creating these barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for me, it would be, good to see it become more accessible mm-hmm. so it's access to arbitrators but also access to justice i suppose when you say that right people who can bring in those claims and uh that's there's also a barrier to that i mean they were talking about it earlier as those barriers to um because it's an expensive it's a private justice right yeah. so everybody cannot afford it and you have there's been a game changer called third party funders <laughs> that came in <laughs> Uh, trying to make it more accessible uh, but at a certain price also well the price has to also do with the barriers to entry if you think about it Mm -hmm. if you if you you know there might be some incredible talent outside of you know Paris or Mm -hmm. New York or London 
um, but if they're not going to know how to, to, to kind of have that inside knowledge that then, then obviously you will eventually mm-hmm. go to people who do have that knowledge mm-hmm. and therefore mm-hmm. they will be placed in places where they where you pay a higher value. I think that that's a kind of a circular problem. But I think your your podcasts and others like this are really an important part of connecting this world to, to the broader outside world. Mm-hmm. So we're not so, you know, closed up. Thank you. That's a perfect way to end the segment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Manas. Thanks a lot for coming on our podcast. It's always a pleasure, Sadia. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.